everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. This is a big day. Last week was our 24th wedding anniversary, making Nikki the luckiest woman in the world for 24 straight years. And this show is our 12th anniversary show. We've been on the air 12 years today on 1500 AM. We're not only the only food and wine variety show on the radio, but we're the longest lasting at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year, we were able to celebrate uh, two years ago at Blue Market, at Blue Market, at Blue Jacket uh, downtown. We had a big 10th anniversary uh, celebration. Today, we're celebrating on air with our lovely guests. (laughs) So, and let's talk about our guests. Uh, Back with us is Sam Fitz. Uh, he's the founder of DC's Ancho Cidery and Tasting Room. Um, apples equal fall deliciousness, and we're going to hear all the ways that Ancho and Sam and and everybody uh, involved at Ancho is making this a great fall. He's telling us that there are apples on the median strips in in DC. We got to find out where. Uh, the team at uh, DC's Espita kicked off their Ghost Burger initiative in August, and it's a huge success. Uh, John Phillips, who's general manager and a partner in Destination Unknown, the the ownership company and chef uh, Rob uh, Akins is going to join us they're, and they're going to tell us all about their big success. Um, they call this talented cook uh, and former senior editor, food editor at Martha Stewart Living, uh, Tara Teaspoon. She's Tara Bench and her debut cookbook uh, shows everyday, everyday cooks, how they can make delicious meals that are simple uh, and fast to make, but totally great. And we've heard all about her. And now we're going to be talking to her on air. And uh, Peruvian Brothers, Giuseppe and Mario Lanzone founded Peruvian Brothers as a food truck and were such a hit. They were able to move it to their first brick and mortar mortar location, La Cosecha, which offers delicious Peruvian style sandwiches, empanadas, desserts, and more. It's always voted one of DC's favorites and we're gonna be talking to them shortly about their success. First, as we do on every show, we're gonna bring in uh, Debbie Moser from Central Farm Markets. They have farmer's markets around the area and it is fall. So Deb, what's going on at the markets right now? Well, first, let me say uh, congratulations on your wedding anniversary. Ours was yesterday, so you keep good company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? We've managed to muck it through this long. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, fall is in full bloom at the markets and everything has come out. I made the most wonderful um, eggplant lasagna the other night. The eggplants are gorgeous. And we have a new chef at the market. Uh, she's just opened her business at Bethesda Central. And she's called, uh, her name is Cece Cooper. And she used to work in New York at some um, high-end restaurants, came down here, opened her own catering business, uh, does individual, you know, catering. But now she's at our market with dinners to go. Hmm. So we know that this winter, um, it's going to be quite popular to come in, take out food and take it home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're ramping up in that direction. We're going to have goodies for Thanksgiving and all sorts of good things. 
Are uh, most vendors thinking that way? Are a lot of your vendors trying to come up with ways for winter so that people can just sort of grab and grab and grab and go? Do you know what I mean? Yep. yep. Not only our vendors, but you'll see a whole bunch of new faces. A lot of chefs in town mm -hmm. who have unfortunately had to get out of the restaurant business have mm -hmm. turned it into a plus by doing just what CC's doing, dinners mm -hmm. to go. And what we're doing is we have some exciting things coming up. Um, and we know that that people like to take home. It's not always great to cook at home yourself. Uh, we've been doing it for nine months now or eight months, however long we've been doing it. Uh, and and even though, and one of the beauties of this program is they work with the, uh, the farmers. So they'll get fresh vegetables and use the, um, they kind of cross market each other. So it's a really nice uh, program. I love so. that. So now let's talk about apple season because we're like, we're in it, right? It so is. Yeah, it is apple season. We love the different varieties of apples and the different recipes. It's not just apple pie. It's apples in roasts, apples with chicken, apples in salads, you name it, you can put an apple in it. And we just love the apples and they're so crispy. Your first bite of a fall apple is one that you cherish the whole season. That's so absolutely true. true. Totally different. All right, Deb, tell everybody where the markets are, please. Uh, we're in Rockville, Pike Central, Bethesda, Bethesda Central, and Nova in Vienna. And you can find all the information on centralfarmmarkets.com. Yeah, Thank and you. please go to the website because the website is really filled with great information if you want to order in advance or if you want to see who's right. at market. I mean, it's a great way to, to really do your, like, get your homework done before you go to market so you can get what you need. It is. Um, and it's also got our home delivery on there. Don't forget about that. That's right. Okay. Never forget about Thanks, that. Thanks, Deb. All right. We'll <laughs> All see right. You Thank week. you. Bye-bye. Right. So the apples are a great segue. I was going to say, she our, set it up. She teed it up. For our next guest. So Sam, you, Sam Fitz of Ancho Cidery, you first came on our show like years ago when you were still like serving beer, like beer was your thing at Meridian Pint. Am I wrong? Uh, you're not wrong. I, uh, my, my background is in, in beer curation and I used to be a beer geek. Uh, mm -hmm. and that, that was when I was first with you all. And so how did that, uh, love of beer translate to a love of cider and then opening up your own places? I think the short answer is I just got bored of beer as, as you can get bored of anything that you study for a long time. So I, I did it for 10 years and I, I was feeling uninspired personally. And I, I discovered cider, which I knew nothing about. And it was just so much more fun to, to work with something I didn't know anything about because exploration is, is a lot more fun uh, than being an expert. Um, and then, so that got me into cider and then the agricultural element of cider. Um, I source all of our apples for Ancho Cider and I buy every apple directly from a farmer. Um, I have no background in this type of work. I have no past life with nature. Uh, and it really just kind of uh, sparked something in me that had nothing to do with business that's been uh, totally fun. So what was your research to create these ciders that are now available? I mean, now you have three locations. Um, it's not just cider. I mean, pre-pandemic, it wasn't just cider. You also offered food. So how did you come up with the process of making cider and sourcing it and creating the products that you now serve? Yeah, it's an easy answer. I just drank a lot, really. Um, you know, I, I consumed a lot of ciders. I, I was lucky enough before my wife and I had our daughter to, to travel the known cider world. Uh, which is northern Spain and northern France and western England and the west coast of our country and Quebec. 
Uh, and we went to all those places and we drank all the cider and we loved it all. Uh, and we decided that we wanted to make cider that wasn't necessarily like anything else because everything that we loved was unique and uh, had a sense of time and place. So we wanted to explore cider by making something that was different. Um, our biggest inspiration were the the Bosque and Asturian Cedras, which are no sugar, funky, like um, kind of beat you up a little bit. Um, and we decided to take that inspiration and add local sourcing um, and carbonation and a little bit more acidity so that the American consumer could be excited about um, something that is itself unique and fun. Well, I was beaten up by an apple once and I spent years in council. <laughs> um, it was questions. probably an Arkansas black. They're the hardest <laughs> apples out there. <laughs> Anyways, um, question number one is, what is a Cicerone or a Cicerone? I don't even know how to pronounce it. You are, you are DC's first, but what are you? Uh, Cicerone, which is a beer accreditation program. I did that in 2011, I believe. I was the, the first in DC. Um, so it was just a way to get professional accreditation. Um, I was basically a beer bro and I was looking for some way to, uh, you know, to look like more, I think. Uh, I but Cicerone's a great Thor program. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Thor, Thor was more accomplished than I was when Cicerone debuted. So I was like the first one in line to, to do the test. And then I, I think Thor like got around to it later that year, but I, I did beat him to the title. Uh, well, back to cider. Why I was interested with all the apples that there are out there in the hinterlands, why set up your cidery in DC? Uh, I mean, I'm a DC bartender at heart. I love the city. I still live in the city. Um, I've fallen in love with nature and spend a lot of time out in Maryland and Virginia. And we get most of our apples from there in Pennsylvania. But our brand is a made in DC brand. Uh, District of Columbia is all over every everything that we make. Uh, we, we have wholesalers in 20 states. You can buy our cider in Texas and California. And it says District of Columbia all over the can. And, you know, that's that's what um, saying is really important to us. We're a made in made in DC product. So when we talk about ciders for the uninitiated, I think people hear cider and they think sip, you know, sweet, syrupy drinks. Can you explain like the kind of ciders you're producing and, and how many SKUs do you have like at any given time? Like how many different varieties of ciders? So right now we're making five year round ciders and all of our ciders come in 12 ounce cans. And then we also make about 15 one-off ciders a year. So if, if you drink entree cider over the course of the year, you can drink 20 different ciders in can. Uh, mm -hmm. And what makes us really unique in the market, and there, there really is not a company like us in the national market, uh, we don't add anything to our ciders. So they're all apple only. So a lot of cideries of our size would make like a habanero cider or a hop cider or a cherry cider. Um, and I don't have it. Say that again. Pumpkin, Pumpkin spice. spice. <laughs> right. And and I don't have anything against any of these things, um, but it's just not what we do. So all, all of our ciders are made entirely from apples. Um, so the only difference in flavor comes from the apples we use. It's just like wine. I mean, if, if you ask somebody the difference between a Chardonnay and a Pinot Grigio, you would have to talk about the, the wine type. Mm -hmm. um, well, let me ask you, how does the fermentation process differ if it does from winemaking, for example? It doesn't. Well, we, we make we make wine from apples. We're, we're winemakers. Um, we make real wine, meaning we take grapefruit and we ferment uh, We ferment it. I think I should clarify that the sugar in apple juice is naturally fermented into alcohol and CO2. So every cider we make is sugar-free, zero grams of sugar. There's no sugar in our products. And we do that by just simply fermenting it out. Interesting. Okay, cool. we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, 
you've come up with a lot of foraging and festivals and promotions and things, and we want to get into that, okay? This cool. is David and Nikki Nellis. It's our anniversary show, 12 mm. years on air. Uh, we'll be right back. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on our 12th anniversary show. Sam Fitz from Ancho Cidery is on with us. Sam, we've talked about a lot of things, but we really haven't talked about how you needed to pivot, if in fact you did, when the pandemic hit. Yeah, when the pandemic hit, we, we had to close the restaurant. And so we pretty quickly started offering a CSA program and delivery of both uh, groceries and alcohol. So you can get beer, wine, and cider from us, but you can also get uh, seafood, CSA, meat, stuff like that. Uh, and very quickly, we started adding like ex experiential things too, because people are stuck at home and they want to do things, but they're, they're home. Um, so we have this whole program of activities and things that you can buy from Ancho and have delivered to your house in addition to the restaurant activities. Uh, and two of those things that we are doing are all of these various forage things, which are really near and dear to my heart. Um, so the program that ties in with the cidery is that if you find apple trees in DC, which, which could be growing in medians or your neighbor's yard, as long as you have permission to harvest them, because we don't want you to break the law, uh, you can harvest apples and bring them to any Ancho location, and we will give you a credit of 35 cents per pound. Um, and so it's really that simple, like legally harvest apples, bring them to us, we will give you credit for them and press them into a cider that then you can buy. Um, so this is kind of an apple, example. Right, that's all, all apples. apples. Like any apple, apple, crab apple, yep, any apple. Yep. Um, so that's a program that we're doing right now and it incentivizes people to uh, interact with Ancho at a time when you only have so many opportunities to do so. Right. And then, but you also have some festivals and things that you're trying to, you know, roll out during this fall season. So let's talk about that a little Happy bit. Happy trees. Happy trees. Yeah. So we, we've been doing a, a forage food menu every Friday that features mushrooms that I, I forage. So I forage a lot of mushrooms and apples. Um, and it's a really fun program, not necessarily uh, related to cider, except that it's a celebration of the harvest time. Right now, if you go out in the woods, there are mushrooms everywhere. If you are looking, there are apples everywhere. It's time to celebrate those things. So we've been doing these forage dinners every Friday. They're a lot of fun. Our chef really knocks it out of the park. Uh, but on November 1st, which is the day after Halloween and it's a Sunday, we're having our annual harvest festival, which is called the Happy Trees Festival. Uh, we make a cider Happy Trees, which is an homage to Bob Ross, who we, who we love. Uh, and we decided to do a non-denominational like pan holiday event every year that celebrates the harvest. Uh, so on November 1st, we're doing a very safe festival there's gonna be a lot of virtual elements. We're doing both a kid and a dog or pet costume contest, but mm -hmm. we're asking participants to book 15 minute time slots. So you come, but like just you at your time and then we'll post everything online. So everybody will get to see all the participants that way. Um, we're also gonna do a virtual tasting of Happy Trees related ciders with me. So, yeah, um, so that stuff you would order in advance, like you have to prepare. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we will have you will be able to come and pick up cider like you usually would like to go. But yes, we'll have a lot of different things that you can order in advance, like apples, tasting experiences, costume um, bookings and, and stuff like that. And it's really just an opportunity for us at the end of the harvest season to celebrate the, the ridiculous bounty that we get in the fall. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. It's so good to catch up with you. Tell everybody where they can find Antipo Cidery online. Uh, Ancho DC, so anxodc.com is best for locals. Um, and then Ancho Cider, which is A-N-X-O-C-I-D-E-R, uh, is best for shipping. We do ship cider to 40 states. Um, so if you want to send cider to friends outside of the district, go to anchocider.com. And now we'll be talking to the guys from Ghostsburger.
With us is Rob Akins. He's the executive chef. Rob, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Hey, Good. Rob. It's nice to... You've been on before, right? We had you on a while back. When you it, were... may have been a, it may have been a while back, yeah. Good good few years ago. A lot has changed since yeah. then. Well, we it. usually charge people with accents more to be on the show, so I would uh, you know, recognize <laughs> it. I wish. Um, so you were in D.C. You moved to New York. You were with the yeah. group for a while. That's and right. Now you're back in DC. What? Now, now what back in DC. So yeah. So as as you said, I was I was in DC. Moved up to New York. I op helped open a couple of restaurants, uh, pasties, and then went on to Veronica. And then with uh, which Veronica was the last restaurant I opened. It was in uh, we opened in January, and then around well March 10th or so uh, was my last day there. It was actually my night off. And then I just never went back. And then so pretty much spent the next five months um, in Brooklyn um, and then eventually moved back down to D.C. at the end of August. Um, I've been in talk with Josh and uh, Ben, the CDC of Aspida, um, coming up with a new concept of uh, burgers. And obviously with the restaurant being 50% less capacity, we had the room and the space to do you know, another idea, another concept of food that we thought people would really like, as well as just tacos. Um, so Josh and Ben approached me about, you know, doing this burger cheesesteak concept. And, you know, I really loved it. Also loving burgers myself and thought it'd be a very good idea to try and get some extra business going. And so um, a few weeks before I moved back down to DC, we talked about the menu and, you know, what we should, what we should have on it. Obviously, we want to keep it relatively simple and straightforward, you know, make it good quality, make it, you know, approachable. And so it's all of doing smash burgers because they're all going to be cooked the same. They're going to be quick to quick to cook. We don't need to take temperatures on them versus doing like an eight ounce patty where you got to, you know, the mediums, the medium wells, da, 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 da. it just makes things more complicated. And obviously, you know, smash burgers are pretty more hip, I think, and, you know, a little more trendy and people really like them. Um, so then we devised, came up with a menu and, you know, we talked about that and we wanted to like, again, save some labor steps. So we obviously wanted to do, you know, a, Me a Mexican sort of flavored hamburger. So to incorporate some of the ingredients we already have, we're already using on the, on the Espita menu. So we came up with one, the hamburger and, you know, which is, which is nearly the, the most popular burger. Um, so we have it's just done with um uh, charred tomatillo smoked tomatillo relish queso oaxaca and then salsa matcha so those are all ingredients we use in currently rob let me jump in for a second because i think we need yeah. to back up a little bit on okay. actual burgers because it's not like you're just smashing like no. you know, ground beef that you're picking up from no we're not no you're working with no. a really good producer yeah you're getting funds from a really good producer like Right. You're sourcing out high quality. No, we're, we're, we're sort I think it's very important. I mean, we, we sourced out good ingredients. Um, so everything is really tasty. You know, great butcher for the meat, Pala Frida, um, who I've worked with for at the, at the Dandelion, um, where we got Best Burger as well back in 2013. So, I mean, it's very important that we use like good quality ingredients, but also, you know, making it affordable as well. I don't, I didn't want to have like, you know, $20 ham. $20 burgers on the menu because I mean, you know, no one really wants to be spending spending that much money. I mean, particularly in, in the environment that we're in, you know, everybody's pinching the pennies and 
So we wanted to make it affordable. So um, ask, right now, like the big, you know, ghost kitchen is yeah. such a term right now. It's such right. a trend. So yeah. would you guys consider yourself a ghost kitchen or a pop-up? Because you can eat, you can we, now order the ghost we're a, menu. We are, we are a pop-up. We're a pop-up now. We were, we were, when we were thinking of this idea, we were a ghost kitchen because there wasn't, we weren't having anyone actually coming in to dine and have the burgers. So we were a ghost kitchen, hence why we eventually came up with the name of Ghost Burger. Um, but obviously now that's changed and we are, you know, we, we do have the same menu available at a speeder as well. So, so you know, the menu and where did cheesesteaks fit into the ghost burger? Um, okay. So, sorry, did you say how big the menu is? Yeah. Like how many offerings are there? Okay. So we do, we're doing, uh, three types of burgers. Um, so there's like the Big Mac sort of flavor style. So it's your classic, uh, you know, we do house pickles. We do special sauce, shaved red onion, American cheese. So okay. it's a very straightforward. This is our most popular seller. Um, you know, I think everyone really loves those, those flavors. And then the hamburguesa, which is like I just said earlier, is the Mexican flavored uh, burger, which again is, is very, very popular as well. And then lastly, we've got one called the Frenchie. Um, so it's sort of got like French flair to it, French flavors, got a garlic mayonnaise, caramelized onions, champignon de Paris, like a bun mushroom, um, and then a French blue cheese fondant bear, which is like very, it's very creamy, soft cheese. Um, which melts very well. And you can make those, they can be single or doubles. And how big are the patties? What, what they're, four, they're, four, they're four ounces. Right, and then they smash them. Yeah, cool. And then, so those, those, we get those in little pucks and then, but yeah, essentially they're just smashed, they're just smashed on the, on the plancher. So they cook very quickly. And then, again, that was important, you know, it was quick and efficient. They take a couple of minutes to cook and, and then, uh, and then they're assembled. Um, what do you serve with? I'm sorry. What do you serve with them? Uh, they can come with fries. Um, so we do different flavored fries. We do just a, well, we, we used to use a seasoning. We called it papa salt. We had a couple of potato dishes on the, and we also use it a lot for vegetables and everything. It's a, it's a chili salt blend, which we make. It's got various chilies, smoked paprika, <laughs> oregano, and that we use for Isn't it hard to do fries to go because they just don't hold? So yeah. as you know, I mean, we we tried many different we tried different fries we tried different packaging we've come up with the what we see as the best option mm -hmm. you know as you know takeout food is not as doesn't last as long as if someone bring brought to you right at the table you know okay. yes the fries are not going to be perfectly crispy when you get i mean that's you know that's the unfortunate business run of takeout mm -hmm. is that you know any crispy food fried food that goes into the box is eventually going to steam because it's still giving off heat and it's, you know, it's a closed box. So the box has, you know, it's a cardboard box. It's not completely airtight. Mm -hmm. So the steam can escape. Um, so they, you know, they are good when they get to the guests. I mean, we try them, you know, hold them for 15 minutes. Yes, they do get a little bit soft, but not overly. So, I mean, they're still a good quality product. Okay, great. Um, and then how did you guys decide when you started delivery and it was successful, what made mm -hmm. you decide to start offering it as a secondary menu? I mean, isn't it hard? Um, we we tried just to see. We just wanted to see what the interest was going to be, mm -hmm. um, as well as doing our regular menu. And it's been, you know, received extremely well. You know, there are, you know, there are days when we sell more burgers than we do tacos sometimes. Okay. But pretty much, it's mostly a speed of food. But there are times when it's fifty-fifty. 
um, you know, hamburgers and the burgers and everything else, the cheesesteaks. I mean, the cheesesteaks are taken off really, really well. People are really... Cheesesteak is going to be like the trend for fall. Yeah. I think three other places are launching. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Process, I mean, we, right? I mean ben, ben, the CDC of the speeder, he was the one that was adamant about having a, a cheesesteak sandwich on. Um, and I've, you know, when I was in Philly, um, I've tried a couple of them. I didn't really like, you know, I thought they were okay. Um, but we, you know, I'm really happy with, with, uh, with the one totally that came up. where cheesesteaks come from? I think he should. Yeah. I think sorry. The last time we ate at Pat's, I think I was sick for three days from just all the. Yeah. Okay. I'll go there. But let me ask you, <laughs> well, we gotta, we gotta wrap quickly, but I, I do have to say, I have a Pavlovian response to the word cheesesteak. So yeah. That's going to take off like a rocket. We need to know where you guys are on land and online so that we can make sure our listeners. Yeah, we're, we're available everywhere. 24-7, we're here. <laughs> land, <laughs> sea, air. <laughs> How about giving us the website? Sorry? The website, a way for people to find you? Ghostburger, DC. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, all right. We'll have you on. Good luck with everything. Hopefully, we'll be in soon. Yeah, I'd love Jason to see you. Dallas. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's our anniversary show, 12 years on air. We'll be back in just a second. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye, Robert. Bye, Robert. Bye-bye. All right, we're back on with David and Nikki Nellis of Foodie and the Beast. Uh, in her debut cookbook, Live Life Deliciously, seasoned food editor, stylist, and recipe developer, Tara Bench, known to the world as Tara Teaspoon now, offers great but simple dishes that taste as yummy as they look. Uh, and she has an unbelievable background and, and, and bio, but why hear it from me when we can hear it from her? Hello, Tara Teaspoon. Hi, thanks for having me. This is a blast. It's um, so nice of you to join us. So Tara, I mean, let's give a little bit of your background because you've been in the food world and uh, sort of the food writing world for a really long time. Yeah. What? Well, the rumor is you taught Martha Stewart to cook. I, that's just the rumor. I <laughs> We're spreading it. Yes, um, there you go. Perfect. You keep that going. That's right. And she's on the phone now. She's ticked. <laughs> so how did it all get started for you? Oh, you know, I I grew up cooking. I I loved it and studied it in college. So I, I studied culinary arts and journalism in college and still didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't, I knew I didn't want to work in a restaurant mm -hmm. or be a caterer. I knew I didn't want that lifestyle, but I wanted to cook. So I ventured out, I called every test kitchen, magazine test kitchen in the country and said, can I come and intern with you? Mm -hmm. And the food director at Martha Stewart uh, test kitchen was the only one that said, sure, come out, interview. Long story short, they hired me as an intern and then kept me on. And I worked my way up to editor and spent about six years at Martha Stewart magazine. So that's, that got me into it and my passion for food publishing started. But so, but you know, the thing about what Martha Stewart does is very specific and recipe testing is really hard because you're trying to convey to people sort of, you know, a science, especially when it comes to baking. So what sort of little pearls of wisdom did you take from that experience that you were able to put into your cookbook? Well, I really did learn just the mechanics and everything about recipe development, recipe testing, recipe writing. When I jumped into magazines and I was at Martha Stewart. And certainly, like you said, everyone has their own style and there is also a technique. So I, I learned it on the job and I was able to create my own style. It really is about 
getting the technical details right, making sure that recipe works every time with maybe an oven that's 25 degrees off. You have to give a baking range and give context cues to what your food is supposed to look like and what that cake is supposed to look like so that people can be successful at home. And so that's what goes into every recipe. That's what happened with my book is I had other people test it, which I'm quoting, uh, which means cooking it just from the recipe. And so it becomes- Thanks for calling, by the way. Really appreciate it. (laughs) I mean, seriously. No, she would have cooked it and I would have tested it. (laughs) But, you know, so I think your book is very timely um, because it's a lot of comfort food. You know, it's it, what I loved about um, the recipes of the book, it's very accessible. And I think given what's happening with this pandemic, you know, like March, April, May, there was a lot of cooking and yeast buying and et cetera. And then I think the summertime people, the cooking maybe waned, you know, waned, 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 a little bit. Um, uh, you know, like, I just feel like that, that kind of fell off. And now that we're getting into fall and there is a lot of unknown out there, um, I, the recipes that you have in your book are, you know, they feel comfortable. And that's, so how did you put those together? What was it about the recipes you wanted to share? Because there's thousands of cookbooks out there. So what did you want to share? There is. And I, and I could have taken any direction with this too. You know, I, I bake a lot, but I also cook unique food for clients and I cook fancy food and comfort food and easy recipes. You know, sometimes clients will have me, I'm a food consultant, so they'll have me make 20 minute recipes, but I wanted this to be, it's partly sentimental. I have a lot of my own favorites and uh, some takes on things I grew up with, but also it's, my sense of cooking, the way I cook now using so many different global flavors and techniques and just making food easy and making cooking enjoyable, that's what I wanted to put in. So yes, if you want to lighten something up and put that chicken on a salad, do it. I tell you to do it. But if you want those Swedish meatballs with noodles, it's easy, it's modern. I put some twists on it. You know, so I, I w- really was able to do whatever I wanted, and it is a mix. It's it's a well, lot. You make a point of of talking about your roots, and you're born in Utah and raised there. I have to assume Salt Lake City or Provo because there are no other cities in Utah that I know of. Both. But, yeah. Yep. Okay. Salt Lake City and Provo. And and, and uh, I mean, I, what is the cuisine in Salt Lake City aside from sheep? You know, I mean, you know, what else they got out there? No, they now they have a pretty decent food scene in Salt Lake and and some really beautiful restaurants and amazing chefs. Uh, but growing up, it really was we, you went out to eat and it was burgers or Mexican food or you know diner food. And I was afraid was, you were going to call me an Eastern chauvinist, but but no, but I is mean, there, was, was there a culture of food in those cities? Regard not. So if there weren't great restaurants, that aside, but you know, like every city has its thing, its culture of food. Do you know what I mean? And obviously in the last 20 years, that's changed in all small metropolitan cities with the infusion of money and the, the restaurant growth. But when you were growing up, were there foods that your mom put on the table or that your family served that were a part of your community? Yes. And you know, it, it sounds cliche, but it really was, it's, uh, it was meat and potatoes. It was that home style food. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yes, we had, you know, it was family style food. 
whatever it was, you know, Utah sort of takes from every culture and people are cooking pastas and lasagnas, but it's also roast beef and mashed potatoes and veggies from the farm stand. And it was very home cooking. Think, you know, the culture that had come from a farming community and then started these big cities. That was the, that was what I grew up with. What about desserts? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I would assume like in that area, and this is an assumption because we're totally East Coasters, that like bake sales and, and you know, community uh, baked goods were yeah. a huge part of everything. Oh, sure. I mean, it was, it was cookies, cakes, cupcakes. Um, fancy, fancy or simple stuff that just- Oh, simple. Cake. Simple and homey, but often beautifully presented. You know, everyone wanted to, to make their events or sharing food lovely, but it was a lot of nine by 13 pans of whipped cream and- <laughs> No judgment. It's still delicious. It is. So, you're talking about square it's chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love chocolate chip cookies, so. Were there, as you were putting the cookbook together, were there, um, were there things that you decided to put in that sort of surprised you? That's a good question. Yes, I think there were. I I got a little more trendy maybe with a few things, but when I had developed them and ate them and concepted them, I just fell in love. So one would probably be the roasted cauliflower with smoky romesco sauce. Mm -hmm. And that you may see in uh, probably a more chef-centered book. Mm -hmm. but it's easy it's delicious and I wanted people to experience that well but also don't you think and I bet especially in your tenure with Martha Stewart that there has been a real change the pendulum swing of just meat and potatoes I mean people are definitely looking to have more veggies on their plate even if they're meat eaters you know what I mean like more people will put a vegetarian dish uh, as the centerpiece it's so true. And I found myself putting vegetarian options in there. I have that Thai vegetable curry, mm -hmm. which normally you'd throw some chicken in or something like that. But it was so solid as a vegetarian dish that why not? I loved it. And it was so straightforward. That restraint to not throw meat in something. I think, you know, as a, as a carnivore, um, it's hard to, to hold back. Do you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. A little bacon might be good in that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you ask the question? Uh, uh, I actually, I was still on desserts. Oh, <laughs> that's where his is at. Um, so, what's next for you? You know, I, I have, I luckily had a two book contract, so I am about to start uh, creating the next book that comes out in 2022. Oh, good. Is there? A, can we get a little? It's, it's still in deciding mode, but it, it will still be that same passion of, you know, modernized twist on, twists on classics. And in the meantime, I run my food blog, Tara Teaspoon, and that's where I get to share recipes with people every day, all the time, um, seasonal, fun, just that's my business. So. so let me ask, with the book, unfortunately, you can't do a book tour, a legit book tour, right? You're not traveling. So are you doing a lot of virtual ones? Is there, are there ways for people to access and see you do readings or speakings or anything like that? Yeah, so much. And, and it's, it's tricky. Um, you know, I have to, 
people need to follow me on social and sign up for my newsletter in order to get that news about where they can see me, where they can hear me. And so it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's my newsletter that you sign up with on my site. And it's a very different book tour than I ever thought would happen. It's always good to come out with your first book during a pandemic. I've said that many times. (laughs) I said it this morning. Listen, I need your tips then. Uh, Uh, No, you don't. If you want to fail, you do. You Um, know, I, I had my book launch this last week and it was virtual. And I did a virtual book launch and chat online. And we had hundreds of people. So that is so many more people that I was able to reach and talk to and answer questions from than if I went on a traditional book. You know, actually, I think there's like sort of good news, bad news, right? The bad news is is that we can't do this together, which is, is bad. It's not fun to only see each other this way. But the good news is, is that we now can reach so many more people who yeah. may not have had access exactly or like if you were going to be at a local bookstore here you know and only 60 people could come you snooze you lose you can't be there but now you know you could have 150 people so there's exactly that. all right so i'm going to jump in with my last two questions this is happens to be our 12th anniversary show we've been on the year oh, on yes. the 12, 12 years today you're the perfect guest of everything in this cookbook, what's your favorite entree and your favorite dessert? Because we're going to make them. Okay. Oh. I mean, well, I she's going to make them. I'm going to eat them. Just to be clear, I've already cooked out of the book. No, no, but... no. But I want her favorite. She's the okay, author. Okay, you can ask her. Go Come ahead. On, okay. First of all, I have a tough time with favorites. Honestly, my favorites change every day. Big but one. I will say the stalwarts that always come back to me are for entree. I would say the Thai, meat, thai chicken meatball golden curry. Totally in my wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. Sounds mm. delicious. And desserts. And desserts, I would say, I mean, just the one that I want to eat every day is the cherry and anise almond cristata. Oh, my God. All right. Done. All right. Okay. We're oh, and it's easy. It. It's a very rustic dessert. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell everybody where they can find you online and where they can find you on Instagram. Thanks. So online, it's terrateaspoon.com mm-hmm. all right now. And Instagram is also at Tara Teaspoon. And my book, you can get anywhere online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, et cetera. Uh, just a reminder, everybody, it's Tara Teaspoon. Live life deliciously, as we all should. Tara, thanks so much for joining us today. This thank is- you. Happy anniversary. Oh, thank, thank you. you. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on our 12th year anniversary show big show now we got to talk about our next guest uh, whose motto is speak spanish kiss french dress italian and eat peruvian i think that's the way to live uh (laughs) they are giuseppe and mario lanzone they're owners of peruvian brothers and co-founders but mario's out today he's not feeling well so we've got giuseppe but we don't lose a thing because not only is giuseppe one of the owners he's a former olympian he's a cool guy and we got him on the show hi giuseppe how are you Hey, guys, how are you? Thanks so much for having me in the show. Really looking forward to this. Well, well, we're thrilled to have you back. So for people who may not be familiar with the Peruvian Brothers, let's discuss your concept and what you guys do. Well, you know, we started Peruvian Brothers about eight years ago. Um, (laughs) You know, my brother and I missed uh, growing up in in Peru with our families, uh, you know, and eating our our food, the the Peruvian food that, that we loved, that we missed. And, you know, we, we wanted to start a concept together. Uh, we were thinking, you know, what's the thing that, that drives us? What's the thing that we're passionate about? 
uh, you know, we, we wanted to do something, something healthy because we, we like healthy food. We like healthy eating. But, you know, we like it, but we're not really passionate about eating healthy. We do it because, you know, we want to stay fit uh, and have a healthy life. But, uh, you know, we, we miss proving food or we miss uh, enjoying the food with our families on the weekends and going to the markets and, 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 and eating the food that we grew up eating. So the, uh, the menu that, that we first started with uh, in the first food truck was the food that we missed the most, which is like the, the, the famous pan con chicharron, which is a, a, a sandwich uh, with a, a bed of sweet potatoes with a pork tenderloin with a criolla sauce. We, we, ha we got one of our uh, a local bakery to uh, bake our, our bread freshly every morning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were, we were super happy to start with. We, we brought some empanadas and uh, just like the way they used to be baked in, in, in Peru in our big, in our corner bakery. So we, we tried to do everything that, that the most uh, closely to Peruvian food that, that we could to be able to share that uh, our culture with, uh, you know, everybody in Washington, D.C. and everybody that came here. So, but you guys started as a food truck, a very popular food truck, I might add. And then what made you decide to do a brick and mortar? You know, uh, it was it was the natural thing to do. We uh, we started with one food truck the first year, then we added a second food truck, then we added a third food truck. Uh, our catering uh, company grew uh, exponentially from you know anything from uh, office meetings to weddings to birthday parties. Uh, we was that started. Like, you know, Jan, was that what you were thinking? Like when you launched the food truck? Because you guys launched the food truck sort of like at the beginning of the food truck revolution in DC. So was your was your head? Oh, we can do catering. Oh, there's all these other ways to make money. Or were you thinking? We just, just trying to make a splash. What were you, what was the initial goals and how did that change? Our initial goal was to share our culture with everybody that came to the food truck. That was, our, that was that's the initial goal. We want to share our culture as much as we can and teach people about Peru. And be, you know, gastro diplomats in order to be able to get out there uh, and and show people a little more about our country. And, and the bigger we grew, the the more we wanted to share this experience of what it is to to eat, to visit Peru through food. So now that you have opened your first brick and mortar, what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for somebody who's coming in? Oh, uh, we love the the brick and mortar. Um, you know, uh, everybody here at Edens, everybody at La Cosecha have been super helpful to us. Uh, guiding us, uh, showing us the ways. Because one thing is opening a food truck. We've opened three food trucks, and you know we can open a fourth, fifth, and sixth food truck with no problem. But mm -hmm. opening a brick and mortar is a little bit more than just a food truck. Um, we had a we've had a great turnout here, a great experience with Edens and everybody around uh, the Union Market neighborhood. Uh, you know, we're not only offering sandwiches now; we're all uh, offering the the famous uh, Peruvian chicken. Um, you know, we, we bake the chicken, you know, five, six times a day to uh, assure people that they're eating the freshest uh, piece of chicken they can get. You know, we added, you know, we added some, a, little, a few other fries stuff like yuca fries and, uh, uh, and French fries, but the, nothing, uh, nothing uh, lower than the best quality possible. All right, Giuseppe, you know, I've got to stop you. Tell everybody the right way to eat yuca fries. Well, you know, I mean, there's... I, I see it, people, I see people, mean? I see people putting mustard on them and all kinds of stuff. How do they do it in Peru? You know, in, in Peru, um, my brother makes this incredible ahi aioli. Um, yeah. Uh, like and yeah. I love to dip my yuca fries in that. Um, uh, he makes this uh, rocotto verde, like a green rocotto, which is a little more spicy. 
you know, everybody eats it differently. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's the way you like it, the, what, what matters. Uh, you know, I love, I love the yucca fries. There's nothing better than a really good piece of, uh, of chicken with some yucca fries. But now, you know, the one thing that we've uh, adapt, because we like to, you know, change our, our, not our concept, but adapt to, to the demographic that, that we're, we're living in. You know, you guys have all heard about, you know, waffle, uh, chicken and waffles. Everybody loves chicken and waffles. Right. But now we've brought this new concept, which is picarones y pollo, which is our own version of donuts that we make it on the spot right when you order. Yeah. Deep, deep, deep fried dough with a piece of chicken and then with chacaca honey that we actually bring the honey from Peru. We process it here and we drip it all over the, the chicken and the, and the picarones. It's absolutely delicious. We actually offer every Sunday here for brunch. So if you guys are around, highly recommend it. So now, do you do um, to go? We do to go. We do it here, uh, you know, but uh, why not come here and enjoy? We have a, a beautiful indoor, you know, we're still at 50% here at La Cosecha, but the outdoor space at uh, La Cosecha is absolutely amazing. Well, let's talk about La Cosecha. Can you, Cosecha? Cosecha. I can't say it right. Cosecha. Can you tell us La Cosecha. It means the harvest. Can you tell us about the market and what's there? Well, the market is beautiful. I'm actually right now sitting in the podcast booth. Uh, they did a great job putting this booth together. I mean, it's so lively outside, but it's so quiet in here, which is great for this phone call. Right. Um, La Cosecha, we have uh, places from El Salvador, Colombia, Venezuela. You know, we have a beautiful wine bar that represents all of uh, Latin American bars. We have a beautiful coffee shop here uh, with Penny Man and Coffee. We have you know, Sona E, we have uh, Nova Bosa, and of course, we have Peruvian Brothers. And running to Peruvian Brothers, we have this beautiful restaurant called El Cielo, which uh, Juanma, uh, they have multiple restaurants um, in Colombia, Miami, and now here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very vibrant place. Um, they do great activations here. Uh, you know, obviously, prior to COVID, we, you know, Thursday night was Salsa Night, and this place used to be packed. Right. Um, people dancing, people sweating, people having a great time. Uh, you know, now we've shifted a little bit more on the outside. So we have a beautiful patio outside. Uh, we've taken some of the street area with some uh, really nice astro grass out there. And uh, yeah, you, I mean, you come in, it's, it's a cultural immersion for me. It, you come in and you're like, all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I, I can have Colombian food. I can have Venezuelan food. I can have El Salvadorian food, or I can have Peruvian food, or I can have a drink from anywhere in, 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 in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So everybody at Eden's, I believe they've done a, a, a great job uh, bringing um, MVPs from all over, from every country, from a lot of countries in, in Latin America, and they put everybody in, in the same place. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we definitely invite everybody um, to come out uh, and check this place out. It's, it's so much fun. The space is beautiful. I love that space. We really um, love it there. It's we were gorgeous. down there a couple of weeks right. ago. Yeah. yeah, so it's really Terrific. Um, what about so now that you have this brick and mortar, has that changed how you're producing the food, or um, what kind of offers other than the, the roasting the chicken, the Peruvian chicken? What other things are you offering? Well, the, the, the one of the two things that we're offering now that my brother loved to cook, which was a little harder on the food truck before, uh, we're we're offering ceviche. Uh, which is, uh, you know, you know, it's no ceviche, it's uh, fish marinated with, with lime juice. And, and the tr- trick about a good ceviche is fresh fish, and it has to be eaten right away because you don't want the lime to overcook the fish. That's the one thing. And the other thing that my brother's offering, which I love, I come, every time I come here, I eat it. 
is uh, uh, lomo saltado, which is a stir-fried uh, oh. beef. And mm-hmm. he's, using, he's using filet mignon, which is a little bit hard on our cost, but people are loving it and people keep coming back and people keep asking for it. So if people ask for it, we got to give them nothing but the best. Well, it sounds like you're eating up all the profits, though. <laughs> it is what it is. You know, Peruvian brother has to pay me somehow. And uh, if, I have to, if I have to charge him by eating the food, then, then, it has to, then that's the place. <laughs> so, um, Giuseppe, we have just about a minute left. Um, with the pandemic in place right now, is there anything you all are doing that you want our listeners to know about as far as coming to La Cosecha or finding your food trucks, et cetera? You know, the, 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 the first thing for us is the beginning of the pandemic is the safety of our team. Uh, right. We make sure that, you know, everybody wears masks. Everybody's constantly disinfecting all the areas. Uh, the team at La Cosecha is doing the same thing. Uh, you know, follow us on Instagram at Peruvian Brothers, uh, Twitter or Facebook. You know, we're all about to get to 10K on, on, on Instagram, which is a, 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 one of our goals for 2020 for us. Um, you know, we, we, we Wait, are so in all the delivery. What's your handle? Uh, Peruvian Brothers. Okay, spelled out, B-R-O-T-H-E-R-S? Yeah, all spelled out, Peruvian, P-E-R-U-V-I-A-N, Brothers. Come on, man. we can spell out. Peruvian. Okay. <laughs> all right, well, we want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. We can't wait to come in and, and see what you guys are cooking tell out. tell Mario we hope he feels better. Yes, please. Yeah, he had a little, uh, he had a little stomach, stomach bug, but he, I, think, I, I talked to him this morning. He's like, oh, I'm feeling much better now. I had, I, he, he, he works hard. He's here six days a week to assure the food is always top of the line. Excellent. And he just, you know, he, he's very, uh, he's very, uh, he likes to be there uh, and make sure that everything that comes out of La Cosecha is up. That's great, perfect. Giuseppe. We have to wrap up. The show is over. So we want to thank you so much for joining us. And we want to thank our listeners too for joining us on our anniversary show, 12 years on air. It's been very exciting for 12 us. 12 years of bliss. It has been 12 years on air. It's been really <laughs> exciting. And we are so thrilled that we are able to bring this to you. Other good news is I've launched Industry Night on Tommy McFly and Kelly Collis' platform, Real Fun DC. Check it out this week. I'm talking to Tom Sietzema. The Dining Guide dropped today, and we'll be talking all about it. So again, thank you for joining us. Everybody, wear your mask, have your hand sanitizer, and have a delicious week. <laughs> <laughs>